welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Maybe you're listening to one of the 47 radio stations. Maybe you're watching us on YouTube, or maybe we're on your iPhone on iTunes. We appreciate you being with us. Well, today we're gonna to talk about the U.S. office market. You know, the office market has been very interesting. There's a lot going on in the office market. You know, companies are still trying to control cost but the tenants have also been aware that recruiting and retention and culture is a big part of the success of their business. And then we have the people working at home, we have shared desks, we have a lot of things going on. We've also had increased uh, construction costs, we've had low amounts of supply. So a lot of things going on in the U.S. office market. Well, please welcome my first guest. It's Walter Page. He's Director of U.S. Research with the CoStar Group. Walter, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it. And you guys do a great job of covering the market, pretty much all sectors all across the country, Walter. We always appreciate hearing from you. And tell us, you know, how did the office market really perform? It seems like uh, the market's gotten a little tighter in most markets around the U.S., hasn't it? Uh, yes. I would call 2015 probably the best year of the real estate cycle so far and it may be the best year of the real estate cycle as a whole. Uh, for the year, we broke 100 million square feet of net absorption. This is the first time since 2007 that we've been able to do that. We actually hit 102 million square feet. Uh, another big trend is uh, we uh, broke under 11% in terms of vacancies. Current vacancies are at 10.8. Uh, that's down 60 basis points from where they were a year ago. Uh, rent growth, uh, highest of this market cycle, uh, reached 4.4. That's up from 3.9% a year ago. Obviously, some markets are doing significantly better than that. Uh, we had double-digit rent gains uh, again in uh, San Francisco and uh, San Francisco in particular. Uh, and uh, the, the market has just been doing pretty well uh, all in all. Uh, across the board. You know, that's great news, uh, especially for people investing in the office market, own office buildings. So to put it in perspective, how do these numbers compare to, you know, say the last 10 or 20 years? Is this really a remarkable time uh, that we're seeing? Uh, it's not actually that remarkable. Okay. <laughs> uh, this recovery has been slower than past recoveries. Um, part of the the main reason why it's been slower is uh, demographically, we have less population growth uh, than we had in the 1980s, 1990s, and even in 2000. Uh, in particular, less population growth of working age uh, people. Uh, so for this 100 million number, we would have broken about 140 million uh, at its peak uh, back in the last cycle. So we're down significantly. The, the, but the big thing is the construction's also down. Um, so the vacancy numbers are similar to last time, uh, but the rent growth at the peak in the last cycle was over 8% in 2007. The peak of this cycle is closer to 4.4 as we had over the past year. So uh, significantly slower rent growth and not as much demand growth. So we have had rent growth, so are our rents higher than they've been in the past? 
Uh, yeah, we nearly every market across the country, well, except for some of the housing bus markets, have rents now that are higher uh, than they were in uh, the last uh, cycle peak. Okay. And, you know, we're talking about the market overall. So what about some of the different classes? I know some of the uh, C properties, you know, some of the markets that we work are still struggling a little bit. What do you see for the different classes? So we, we see um, three different trends here. One's dealing with uh, flight to quality, nice space. We see a trend of uh, people favoring urban locations. And then we see another trend uh, related to uh, the industry that drives that local economy. So let me just talk about the nice space. In terms of what we call four and five star space, which is um, similar to class A, it's achieving net absorption rates that are double their fair share. Roughly two thirds of net absorption is for this space versus one third of the market stock. The other theme of urban locations, um, we're seeing the best rent growth the, some of the tightest vacancies coming out of the CBD markets and what we call secondary business districts. So, for example, in Atlanta, that would be like the Buckhead area. Uh, in Boston, that would be um, Cambridge, or it could be West L.A. Um, those markets are, are doing exceptionally well. And then finally, the other big trend uh, has been, it initially started off with a tech and energy driven economy and strong office markets. And that is increasingly shifting um, to other sectors of the economy. So more of the housing bust markets are now uh, recovering, such as Chicago and Atlanta's, and even the Florida markets are, are doing significantly better. So all in all, we're seeing good picture, but it's clearly a flight to quality. Okay, and we're talking with Walter Page with CoStar about the U.S. office market. So, so Walter, you're talking about we're having rate increases. We have, we have good rents now, but you're still seeing a really a, a lack of new construction and new supply. So, so what, what are we seeing for new construction? Where are we? Okay, so new construction over the past year um, totaled 63 million um, square feet. That's a, that's a pretty good number. Uh, we currently have 128 million square feet underway, uh, and we expect that the new construction numbers uh, will go into the low 70 million square foot number for 2016. Uh, the construction is, is really concentrated. Uh, we have, right now, we still have 12 million square feet underway in the Houston area, and New York has 14 million square feet. Uh, there are six other metros uh, that have significant uh, construction of over 6 million square feet. Uh, those are mainly uh, markets like Washington, Dallas, Boston, uh, Seattle, and San Jose. Uh, and in general, we think that the construction activity will continue to hold up, but it's, it's not nearly as strong as it was in past cycles. Yeah, so let's put that in perspective a little bit, Walter. You know, how does it compare to, to historic numbers of new construction? It seems like it's, it's low, you know, from our point of view here. It's, it's, it's well, it's less than half of what it was wow. in, in prior um, cycles. Well, that should uh, keep the market pretty healthy. So what do you expect moving forward for 2016 and beyond? So we expect the vacancy rates for the office sector to continue to decline. Actually, we think that they're going to bottom out at 
just around 10% in 2017. So, you know, we're at 10.8 today. So we got two more good years of um, occupancy gains. Of course, it depends on which market you're in. If you have significant construction like uh, Houston, uh, that market will see significant increases in vacancy. Um, but for most markets, we expect to see uh, a decline in vacancy over the next two years. Interesting. So what would be your advice to, to companies then that uh, need space or going to be needing space here in some of these markets if you expect uh, rates to continue to climb and vacancy to decrease? Well, as a tenant needing space, um, I would suggest, one, I, I always suggest going to higher quality space. Uh, I would suggest uh, potentially not necessarily locking yourself into uh, a long-term 10-year um, contract. I would, I would rather do a five-year contract principally because our view is that there is a, a risk of a recession sometime in the next uh, five years. Um, and, uh, you know, following recessions, we all often have uh, reduction in rents and stuff like that. So there could be opportunities in the future for locking in. As far as an investor, I would suggest locking in and, you know, getting credit tenants now um, in case we do have that recession. Okay. And I guess for developers, uh, would you say there's opportunities, but be careful? What's your advi quick advice for them? For developers, um, acting quickly in terms of starting construction and getting it completed, uh, now is the time to act. Uh, don't wait, um, or else, uh, you know, th this risk of recession or slowdown uh, is is out there, and we just don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good advice. Well, stay tuned. We're going to get more from Walter Page with CoStar. We're going to talk about the investment market. We're going to talk about cap rates and some strategies, strategies there. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, today we're talking about the U.S. office market. Now we're going to focus in on investment property sales. You know, there's, we talked about the, the rental rates are increasing. There's been a lack of new construction. So is it a good time to buy? We also have interest rates that are starting to climb. Should you be considering selling? Well, we're going to look at cap rates and trends there with Walter Page from CoStar and, and Walter. So is there a lot of movement? It seems like there's some people that say, you know what, if you're going to sell, do it now. Uh, but, you know, from the indications you're giving us, you know, times are pretty good to, to, to buy as well. What do you see for volume? Volume is off the charts. Uh, <laughs> we hit $145 billion of sales for 2015. Wow. Uh, that number was up 13% from the year before. And uh, just to put this in perspective, in uh, 2010, we were at roughly one-third that number. So the volume numbers are nearly three times higher than they were in 2010. So 
obviously buyers and sellers are coming to an agreement and uh, liquidity in the office market and all real estate is exceptional um, and and this is this is capital you know uh, we have big pension plans that are increasing their allocations to real estate we have foreign investors coming to the marketplace uh, and we have uh, just private investors also all coming to the marketplace so it, it's a pretty flush time for uh, commercial real estate, especially office. Right, yeah, we, we see the same thing. Uh, you know, we're licensed in nine states, headquartered here in Atlanta, and we're starting to see a lot more activity in some of these secondary uh, markets, which some people consider Atlanta as a secondary market. And you mentioned foreign investors, so how much of an impact are you really seeing there? So it's hard to track foreign investors, but we estimate that they're over 10% of the market. Um, and, and to give a perspective of this, I just pulled down some information on top 20 uh, property sales in the United States, and four of the top 20 were foreign investors. We had a Canadian investor, uh, we had a Norwegian investor, and a China investor in that top list. And these people are buying some pretty uh, name-brain um, buildings. Uh, you know, one of them was a 2.2 million, I mean, billion dollar um, office building in New York. Uh, and then, you know, you go down, we have a uh, 630 million dollar building in New York and another 600 uh, million dollar building in New York. So they're, they're buying some pretty name brand assets. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see the the impact of these foreign investors as they look for the U.S. as kind of a safe haven and commercial real estate being a nice hard asset. So this kind of volume, this kind of interest, uh, what's it doing to cap rates? So um, cap rates have compressed um, in the past year, um, not compressing as fast as what they have been. Uh, they were down about 20 basis points in the past year. Uh, and we think that the cap rates are probably, uh, well, let's put it this way. We think that the, the market still has a lot of um, pent-up capital. And so despite seeing some interest rate increases in the 10-year Treasury, and I mean in the, in the federal funds rate, uh, our expectations are that cap rates will probably continue to remain very low uh, for the foreseeable future. Interesting. So could you give us a, some example cap rates? I think some of our listeners may be surprised how low some of these cap rates are, and, and then maybe as well as some high uh, on some properties. What do you see? So uh, the lowest cap rates for office are concentrated to San Francisco and New York. Uh, in those markets, it would be very common to have cap rates as low as 4%, which is you know, and that's for, you know, top-tier assets and things like that. Now, part of the reason why the cap rates are so low in San Francisco in particular is that San Francisco's had uh, over 80% cumulative growth in rents. So there's a lot of embedded rent growth, which means that people uh, ex have growth when those leases renew. Uh, on the other hand, we have more normal cap rates across the country are closer to 6%. Uh, in most institutional markets. And then if you go spread out and you become into less institutional type markets, 
um, the cap rates in many cases are in the sevens to eight percent range. Right, and so you expect those to continue to decrease a little bit, even though uh, the expectations are that we're going to continue to see, you know, rise in uh, interest rates. Until this flood of capital slows down, uh, we don't see anything that's going to cause cap rates to rise. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, some of the investors that, that we're talking to about office properties are are already mentioning uh, a rising cost of, of money, and I think maybe that's just natural, right, for a buyer to, to complain about when they're negotiating uh, a sale. But, but I see what you're saying, especially when you look at some of these markets, even a secondary market like Atlanta, uh, where some of these existing rents on these leases are, you know, are 20 percent uh, below market. So I guess as an investor, uh, you're looking at plenty of upside to increase your NOI, right? Uh, yeah, that's 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 what's driving the really low cap rates. Is the embedded rent growth? You know, office leases on average are five years long, so that means that the lease that you might have signed at a weak point in the economy will be rolling to a much higher rent, um, and that's really what's driving some of the low cap rates. Yeah, we've also seen a little bit of uh, rate shock with some of these tenants, too, that are, are into these situations, and, and they expect that they're going to see a little rise in their rents, and they're seeing big increases, especially if they moved up from B to A, you know, in the down market. So, Walter, are there any markets or areas that, that you would say for investors that uh, where there might be some opportunities? Um, our, our view is the opportunity is probably between the not the core space, but what we call the value-add space. Um, and that would be improving a building, uh, moving it from uh, you know higher quality, upgrading a building. Uh, what we see is in the capital markets, people really dislike risk. And to the extent that you can remove risk from a building um, by upgrading it to a higher quality, uh, increasing its occupancy, you can also uh, get a gain in value. And that's probably the best place right now for opportunities. We also see some opportunities in the smaller markets, um, principally because they haven't been priced up nearly as much as some of the top markets have been. Right. Those are good tips. So what would be some example, maybe smaller markets to, to consider? Well, actually, um, Atlanta actually comes in uh, fairly well uh, in, in that. Uh, many of the markets in Florida and many of the markets in Southern California also come in pretty well. Phoenix shows up well. Uh, those are the principal markets that, that show a lot of upside at this point. All right. Well, good tips. And you heard it here on the Commercial Real Estate Show. Walter, thanks for joining us. As always, great information. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you. If you want more information from uh, Walter Page, visit CoStar.com. They have information on all the sectors. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on the U.S. office market with some more strategies and tips. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Bull. We'll be right back.
Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Our topic today is the office market for 2016 and beyond. And we've heard about the market and what's happening in the investment market and as far as performance for office properties around the country. Well, now we're going to talk to some developers, some owner managers who are actually on the front line handling these properties. Please welcome my next guest joining me via Skype. We have Ned Austin. He's VP of Marketing and Leasing. And Brian Leary, he's president of Commercial Mixed Use. They're both with Crescent Communities. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks, Michael, for having us. Well, we appreciate it. And you guys are really active in the, in the mixed-use development process uh, with office properties. As we talked about, the office market has been doing well. You've got projects where Nashville, Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, Austin, Texas. And one of the projects that I'd like to hear about a little bit more is your project in uh, Nashville, right? And is that a mixed-use project and you're doing a spec office there? We are. So it's in uh, the Cool Springs submarket of Nashville, which is due south in Williamson County, arguably one of the best counties in the country. And the vacancy rate in this submarket is less than 1% for Class A office space, which I'd like to find any other submarket that's that tight. So we've started a, a speculative office building, 155,000 square feet, called Two Greenway. This is one of our shots um, from this past week topping out in February, delivering in December of this year. And it is within um, arguably one of the higher end mixed use areas of Cool Springs. So that is primarily an office building, but immediately next door we have 22 acres at the corner of Carruthers Parkway and McEwen Boulevard that we're gonna be doing a mixed use development as well, right across from uh, Spectrum Memories, Franklin Park and Hillwood's Ovation. Okay, that's excellent. So it's interesting to see you're doing a spec office and you certainly sound like you found the perfect market for it. We haven't seen a lot of spec office, especially maybe in secondary cities, you know, like Atlanta and Nashville, but they're have both been growing. So talk to us about that project in Nashville. What kind of rental rates uh, do you need to do a new uh, spec office building with the rising construction costs and everything else? Where do you need these rents to be to make it make sense? Great question. So typically this is a submarket in Nashville that's surface parked and when you're not having to build structured parking, you could generally build an office building if you have rents in the mid to high 20s. Again, so long as you're not overpaying for land. When you get to structured parking, kind of a rule in our business is you better be in the 30s. 30 is kind of that, that go or no go for even thinking about structured parking. But what we're seeing in Cool Springs uh, where predominantly it's a surface park submarket, you're actually getting rents now into the 30s, even with surface park. Now, that being said, you are starting to see some um, trays added to the parking to get your parking ratios up. That's one thing that you're seeing in a market like this, where the office parking ratios are now getting pr pretty close to retail parking ratios, close to four and five per thousand, which is really something we've never seen before. So. If you can afford to do four per thousand surface park, you're going to have to be in your mid-20s to high-20s. Again, not overpaying for land. If you're going to go structured parking, uh, you better be at a minimum 30. And if you're going five per one, you probably be, better be in the low 30s. 
Ned, what do you think? Does that sound about no, right? I totally agree. And so, so Ned, where are you on, on leasing activity there on a new project like that? And, and are you doing anything differently than you've done uh, over past years and decades to, to lease a building of this size and, and magnitude uh, with technology or any new things that you guys are doing to, to attract tenants? Sure. So the, uh, we broke ground in you know, roughly December. Uh, so we're just underway with the project and we already have two proposals uh, totaling 200,000 feet um, that are out there right now with interest and probably another 300,000 feet of prospects. So the, um, the activity is, is, is outstanding. As Brian mentioned, with a low vacancy rate, there are not many options for uh, existing users. So um, from the marketing side, we've uh, you know, done our traditional uh, brochure, um, flyers, et cetera, but we're really seeing a lot of um, uh, demand for what is a, for a website that's interactive that shows you more than just a building what's the area we're doing more on social media um, we're seeing a lot more demand for uh, connecting with those younger brokers and users uh, via more uh, smartphone etc versus uh, putting that flyer in the mail like we used to do 10 years ago <laughs> Michael one of the things we did that we think was a little different and it kind of caught the brokers I think off guard is the night of our groundbreaking back in October, we booked out the Bluebird Cafe, which many people in Nashville don't even go there because they can't get in because it's always uh, sold out. And so we ended up doing a private show there for the best brokers in Nashville to kind of introduce what we're doing out in Cool Springs to talk about the experience that we want to create. If yeah. you've been following real yeah. estate and that's that, that's fantastic and we have to take a short break here and but if check us out on commercialrealestateshow.com because we're going to carry on and talk about mixed-use development in office I'm Michael Bull this is the commercial real estate show are you in accounting banking or technology Advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. We're talking about the U.S. office market. Well, how would you like to have some very large corporate headquarters come into your city? Or how would you like to help them with that process? Well, we have a treat for you now. We're going to talk to John Boyd with the Boyd Company. And they provide uh, economic development, corporate mobility services, corporate site selection. Uh, they've worked with companies like Hewlett Packard, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Pratt & Whitney, Dell and PepsiCo. He's here in Studio One with us. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. So I'd like to kind of get a start here. If, uh, you know, if you need a large amount of office space, let's say you need a corporate headquarters, you're kind of looking at maybe large areas of the country, you know, what should you start as a business leader? Well, how should you start thinking and preparing for that process? Well, a, a myriad of factors are involved today in the site selection process. We call site selection both a science and an art. Mm -hmm. The science is really the, the quantitative analysis, measuring business costs in one city versus another, measuring taxes and available incentives in one city versus another. And the, the qualitative aspect of site selection involves branding, 
and involves a labor market and proximity to a major international airport. Every project is, un is unique yeah. and every project has very distinctive uh, drivers associated uh, w with them. Yeah, so is there, what's the trend for changes in, in the site selection for corporate headquarters? Uh, you know, as the economy changes, it seems like a lot of people are concerned with cost and it seems like some of the tenants we work with now are a little concerned more with, with recruiting and retention. Are you seeing any adjustments there? Yeah, state business uh, climates are a paramount consideration for large corporations today. Uh, you know, w our firm has actually developed an acronym that we use that for our site selection projects, for major office projects, major headquarter projects, and it's TALIO. Okay, T is for talent. And talent always comes first. Yeah. A is for access, access to a major international airport. L is for lifestyle, and, and things like cultural amenities, professional sports, all of the things that this, you know, the so-called millennial class uh, craves today in terms of what companies they want to work for. I is for incentives, and O is for operating costs. And those are the critical ingredients that we use for our headquarter and our office project, site selection projects. Well, it's interesting that the monetary incentives and things are at the bottom of that, you know, and is that where one of the ways that a company should think that, you know, maybe the talent and the other things are really more important to their top and bottom lines? There are exceptions to that rule. Uh, certain projects are what we term trophy projects where state governments offer incentive packages that can mitigate a lot of the confiscatory operating cost structures. An example would be Panasonic uh, utilizing New Jersey's Urban Transit Fund tax credits uh, to, to keep their headquarters in New Jersey rather than go to an Atlanta or a Virginia, for example. But yes, uh, the critical factors that smart companies use when deciding where to put their headquarters, uh, you don't want to overemphasize incentives. The idea of where do our executives want to live is, is, is key. And, and you know, one of the reasons Atlanta has been so successful, in addition to your great business, Atlanta's uh, business climate, is uh, Jacksfield uh, is, is the international airport here, right. which has more nonstop flights to global markets than any other airport in North America. That's something, obviously, that you know, major multinational corporations need to have. Yeah. And what are some of the big corporate relocations that uh, are happening out there right now? I mean, I think everybody realizes wherever they live, that getting some of these larger employers there uh, can be great for their business, no matter what business they're in, right? right. Well, the project of the moment is, mm -hmm. is GE, mm -hmm. uh, which is fed up with increasing taxes in Connecticut. And uh, Jeffrey Immelt announced a year ago that GE is actively looking to locate their headquarters out of Connecticut. You know, initially, you know, we suspected the usual suspects would be the strong candidates. We thought that Houston, Dallas, Atlanta would emerge as strong front runners. As the process evolved, it became clear that the company wants to stay in the Northeast. GE is very much a Yankee company. Mm -hmm. And I think Boston has really emerged as the strong front runner. The, the Seaport District in particular is especially attractive uh, for, for GE. Interesting. So what are some other companies that may be coming up soon that uh, people will be fighting for? Marriott uh, is, is uh, going to be locating their headquarters to a new facility. Uh, keep an eye on Virginia. Uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe, a centrist Democrat, has made economic development a major priority of his administration. Of course, they're extending the Silver Line 
and uh, into the Reston area, which is going to put into play a larger part of Fairfax County uh, for new office projects. Are there certain regions of the country that uh, some of these big corporations really prefer? Yeah, there's a trend towards low-cost pro-business markets in the southeast, the Midwest. Indiana is, is becoming a, a mecca for uh, advanced manufacturing and for office projects. You look at what they're doing in the high-tech sector with, with Angie's List, uh, for example. And Nevada. I mean, uh, Nevada has really emerged as one of the more pro-business states in the country under Governor Sandoval's leadership. Uh, in, in the last year alone, of course, they attracted Tesla to Reno. Uh, last month, uh, Faraday Future announced their uh, new facility in North Las Vegas. So Nevada has really become the epicenter of the electronic car market, which is very, very interesting. Uh, you know, you look at the center of gravity for the auto industry, which is the southeast, and that's influenced the migration of new office projects related to the auto industry to the southeast. We project the same thing to happen in Nevada with new office projects in markets like Summerlin and Henderson related to, to the electronic car market. Interesting. Well, I'd like to talk to you about some of the incentives and how big of a player do you need to be? What do you see there for the battles? Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the office markets and finding the right site and location for your firm. Stay with us. I'm Michael Wolf. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the office market. We have John Boyd with the Boyd Company, and he helps companies relocate their corporate headquarters. And you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people hear about is these large incentives and these these battle for the different incentives from the municipalities. Uh, how big of a space do you need? How big of a tenant and an employer do you need to be to get some of these lucrative incentives? Well, incentives are really tied to, to two things. Number one, the size of the project. And number two, the branding value, the panache of a particular company headquartering itself in your city. A lot of that is the artistry. It's the sales pitch of the company to leverage the largest package possible. And what are some sample packages that, that, that you've seen that have been done? There's really been a, a, a homogenization of, of incentives throughout the 50 states. Most packages vary in scale, but include the same types of things, uh, property tax abatements, hiring credits. Uh, we're also seeing things now, a new focus on job training. Uh, Governor Sandoval in Nevada has been a leader on that. One of the things that Tesla found very, very attractive in their uh, selection of Nevada over uh, Arizona and New Mexico for the, the Gigafactory was the enormous amounts of job training funding that the state is prepared to spend. Also infrastructure improvements, uh, things like highway infrastructure improvements, uh, these are all things that companies are look for and expect today with a well-crafted incentive deal. Yeah, and you mentioned that the sort of branding where these tenants are, you know, have that panache of coming in, right. you know, and um, Mercedes-Benz, I guess, just decided to, to move to, to Atlanta where Studio One here is. And uh, so how important is this branding for, for the actual cities to consider kind of their brand as well as the company's brand? Branding has become a critical part of site selection today. You know, 40 years ago, 
when a company would begin the site selection process, typically, you know, we would work with uh, the real estate department, the finance department, the HR department. Now there's marketing and communications folks at the table. And branding is, is a key part of the site selection process. A great example is Cadillac. Mm -hmm. Okay, Cadillac uh, recently announced uh, they're, they're locating their headquarters out of Detroit uh, to Manhattan Soho District. Now, why is that? Because the battle for market share in the auto industry today is for millennials. Mm -hmm. So being associated with a, with a hip, trendy area in Manhattan like the, like the Soho District is very, very important for a company. We're seeing the same thing with Hudson Yards. That's the next area of, of Manhattan that's really being developed. Companies like L'Oreal are, are, are investing there. And uh, so branding is, is key. We're seeing it with GE also. One of the reasons Boston has emerged as a front runner is because of Boston's reputation as a high-tech leader. Right. So I guess if you're in economic development of some of these cities, you have to think about, hey, what is your brand, right? What are you trying to push out there that would help these companies want to relocate there? Absolutely. What about some tips before we ha you have to go and leave us? What about some tips for uh, a company that's looking to uh, relocate their corporate headquarters? Timing is everything in economic development. So corporate decision makers today are, are working with a very strong trend today, and that's that politicians from both parties are bending over backwards to attract new industry. So if you're the leader of a major corporation, you should demand access to your governor, to your mayor, and you should expect to, to, to be able to get him on the phone and, and, and get what you want, okay? Because politicians from both parties run on a platform of job creation. So job creators today have enormous leverage, and they need to make their voice heard. So you mentioned getting out early, and that's one of the biggest things we see on all size tenants is, you know, get out a lot earlier than you expect. So, John, thanks right. for joining us today. We appreciate you being here thank in Studio you. One. Well, and thank you for being with us on one of the 47 radio stations, and I may be watching on YouTube or iTunes. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, next week, we're going to have a special show. We're going to have the Fed's view on commercial real estate. You know, there's some talk that maybe there's some bubble pricing happening and maybe it's overheated. Well, we'll get the Fed's view, so be sure and join us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.